This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 64. This episode is coming from you to you from Amsterdam. Not New Amsterdam, New York, but original Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Just got in yesterday at noon, and I uh, gotta get this episode to you now. This episode features my friend Crystal Arnett. She's a director, a filmmaker, an actor, a singer, um, very talented, smart, wonderful human being who I've gotten to known for many years uh, here in Bushwick. But we recently reconnected um, as I auditioned for one of the most recent things she's directed called The Hunted, a series. Um, it's about vampires and I think it's vampires and werewolves or vampires and hunters. I auditioned for a role um, I did not end up getting. Um, it got cast um, as a woman, actually, and that was really cool as uh, it's a women-led, um, women-created project. Um, they're actually having a party tonight at Cloud M, so if you're around, that's about 12 year hours from now. Um, the links for that will be in the show notes. Check it out. Um, it was a really cool process auditioning for them because it made me realize, um, yeah, that I really want to do vampires, werewolves, or superhero type stuff as an actor. Um, that's just so much fun. Um, so anyway, this is a great conversation I had with Crystal. It was great catching up with her. Um, she's I think if there's one word to describe her, and she'll get into that, um, is storyteller. So, without further ado, this is Crystal Arnett. Let's have a conversation. Well, let's start there. Um, Florida. Florida's coming. Gonna have Our family's got so much... Family's got like so, so, so much. And uh, yeah, I was talking to my cousin for like two hours last night because I'm writing a feature film about um, our grandmother, our, our, my dad and her mom's uh, birth mother, the Grammy, who's turning 80 is technically her stepmom, but she's our Grammy, obviously. She was, she was the only one there when we were born. Okay, we did it. Mm hmm. We got cards working. Am I okay? Am I? Let me turn this to me. Rotate you. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I don't want to talk very loud, so I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to bring them all really close to me. Yay. <laughs> so, Crystal, how are you doing? Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for helping me through uh, technical difficulties this morning. Oh, any anytime I can troubleshoot SD card problems, I'm... I'm having a good morning. Good. Um, so you're heading to Florida this week, you said? I am. I'm heading to Florida on uh, Thursday afternoon for a couple days, going home. South Florida's uh, homeland for me, so it's, you know, always like a, exciting because there's like a lot of snow on the ground right now here in New York, and, and I, as an adult now, I, I really do understand why everyone moves to Florida. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. As yeah. a child, I was a bit confused. 
how long have you been um, in New York now? I'm coming up on my 10 years. Nice. I know. It's going to be this August. So yeah. I was thinking about when I moved to Bushwick, and I moved to Bushwick nine years ago, January 1st. That's uh, almost the same as me. Like, I've, like it'll be 11 for me in August, um, but it, yeah, it'll be 10 years in Bushwick for me in August, because I was in, like, South Slope the first year. Ah, uh, yeah. I spent, like, four months in Astoria. Uh, when I first moved to the city, I was living with my best friends from uh, high school and middle school. They had gone to NYU, and we all moved in together in Astoria. I moved in with them in Astoria and then ended up falling in love and deciding to move to uh, Bushwick. Um, and that relationship, you know, eventually ended, but I stayed in Bushwick. So yeah, <laughs> I've been here ever since. Yeah. Uh, and I was actually out here um, when I first moved. We were on... Uh, we were between Central and Wilson on Bleecker Street. So a bit farther down from where we are right now. And right across from this like huge cathedral. It's like really gorgeous cathedral with like a dome. And, and you know, outside my window kind of it looked like Italy. You yeah. Know? But then the block was, um, I mean, I never, I lived there a year and a half. I had no issues ever. But I met a kid I worked with who like grew up in the neighborhood and he grew up on Menahan just like, he's like, oh my gosh, you live on that block? I was like, yeah. No, I know what house you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> then we got bed bugs, but so did the rest of the city. So. Yeah. Um, I think the first time I met you actually was at a house party um, through, I think I had met Bailey was you your roommate, right? roommate, Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, were we having a party at our house? I think so. Oh, down on Groton Street? That was yeah, my next, yeah. Yeah, it was. I moved from the, you know, post bed bugs to, you know, whatever. The whole city got bed bugs, so that's fine. Um, we did too. And uh, and then that, that relationship ended, which I'm, I'm also writing a movie about. But, um, and I moved in with Bailey, who had just become our roommate right when that relationship ended. And uh, we moved into an apartment on Groton Street between Knickerbocker and Porter. We were there for two years. And that is how I met you. Because I think she must have met you at the bar. Or... Yep. Nice. Um, like, I I think I met her right, like, probably, like, that week. I think, um, yeah, I feel like that's probably true. And then we had, you know, I've always loved opportunities to gather. We might have been having a roof party. I think so, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. we had, you know, we, had, we were on the top floor of that... One of the few, not the few, but not so many like six family home buildings, you know, um, but over there on, on that block, there's still a lot of like traditional family dwellings. And I live in a six family one right now. Yeah. Um, I'm on Melrose though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That place was, it was like, a, um, you know, what a steal back then. It was like two grand for a three bedroom. Yeah. But we had like no common room, you know, yeah. and it was one of those converted family houses that, you know, yeah, we had roof access, but we couldn't get to the backyard. And, uh, it was totally great for when we had it. And then our, our landlord was like, I'm redoing the whole building and you're, we're kicking you out. And of course we didn't know at the time that there were like rights that are involved in that. And of course the, uh, family on the first floor who I'm sure had been there far longer. They, they knew all about it and they like held out. Yeah. And they got like a, I don't know. They got, they moved across the street for a while and they came back and, but to be fair, I think it worked out for the best. Cause I, I, our landlord got us in touch with the owners at two fifty Moore street. So I moved into the lofts that were over there. 
um, which has its own, you know, then I learned what loft law was and yeah. all the challenges of loft law in Bushwick. Uh, but now I have a space where I can throw parties. Yeah. I've, and there's a great roof um, there, too. It's a great. Building. I know. I remember very specifically my first, because we moved in July, my July 1st room. Um, I remember when I first moved to the space on Groton Street, looking over at the rooftops on Moore, and there being this just huge party. Like, I don't know if it was 260 or 250. I don't know which roof was doing the party. It was yeah. probably 260. Yeah. But like, <laughs> it's probably. But they had like giant glowing balls on the roof. And it was, you know, this was in 2011. Yep. And just the culture of like these big loft parties, um, which I kind of feel like I don't, honestly, I just think we've all gotten older. Yeah. Like I lived in, back then, I lived in McKibben. You were McKibben's. All. all all that I've and ended then, up in McKibben's a couple nights after after parties. Yeah, with the people that I've <laughs> ended up in woken up and being like, mm, I'm gonna go home now. <laughs> Good times. Good times, though. I know. I I remember in like 2013, uh, which doesn't feel like it was that long ago, except it, it was six years ago, um, which isn't really that much time ago. But like walking around with my my friend um, and just like listening for parties. Yeah. Just like walking around the neighborhood and being like, sounds like there's a party on that roof. And then just like walking into a loft and being like, oh, we're at a party. Yeah. There were parties in my building. But nowadays there's strollers, you know, there's, there are like literally elementary school age kids running around. I'm still like, I don't know what your experience was in Astoria because yeah, my experience in South Park Slope was, um, I was new to New York, like that was 2008. So that was like a very, uh financially difficult year for everybody in new york like everybody was telling me like it's not usually this bad like this is bad for people who you know have lived here for a while already um but then being in south park slope uh it was much more like it was nice but it was like yuppie nice and i was not anywhere near or any desire to be like at that place um, so it was like all strollers and stuff. So it's interesting being in Bushwick now and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have come and gone, but there are a lot of people that are still here yeah, and who are growing up and now right. having kids. Yes. Um, the people in my building have been there for 15 years yeah. at least. Some of them, you know, I mean, they're OG like loft tenants, yeah. you know, who have been there that long and have been like dug in, fighting with the loft board and fighting with the landlords and and you know i've learned so much about like tenant rights and you know but yeah they've you know they've all grown up and had kids yeah and now we've got people with strollers but now it's like interesting like the skater stroller <laughs> like you know what i mean like they the parents who are still right um like still not going it's the... literally my parents like yeah. that's <laughs> that's what i i i like forget sometimes like how young my parents, my mom was 24 when she had me and my dad was 28 and they were, you know, for lack of a better term, they were living in like a loft in, you know, Delray Beach, Florida. They, they lived in, um, I'm not sure why, I don't have the whole story on this, but they were living at the surf shack, it was called, with all the other surf kids um, who like had built a surf shop that's still there in Delray called, or in Ocean Ridge called, um, Nomad Surf Shop. And that's where I came home from the hospital to. Like, that's where they brought me home and I lived in this big house with 
all the other I just like think Lords of Dogtown and then like update it to the mid eighties and like mm-hmm. that's you know, in Florida and not not down in Venice. But um yeah, like that was you know, I, I think back to my own childhood and it makes so much sense because they were they were young. They were kind of, you know, funky kids and they uh you know they they like moved to steamboat springs to you know work at a ski lodge and there's all these photos of me like asleep on my dad's back covered in snow because he's just been like skiing black diamonds yeah (laughs) with me on his back and now you know anyway it's funny i don't have any plans to like birth children so i'm i'm not gonna do i'm not gonna get to be uh one of those um skater skater mom cool moms but I'll, I'll like be friendly to all my friends' kids or something. Yeah. If we all ever have kids, we're all, we're all in the arts. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, um, me and Laura are definitely undecided on the matter. We have our, our dogs. Um, yeah. we like our dogs right now. Um, we're not a, like, she has two sisters. They have kids. We're happy. We let, we like our nieces and nephews. Yeah. Um, I have other sisters, um, that have kids and yeah, I like my nieces and nephews. Um, I like my, a lot of my friends have yeah, kids. My friends are having kids. Um, but I imagine for you, uh, your film projects, yeah. your different creative projects are, are your babies. Um, yeah. I, I was in, you know, it's so funny. I was in, um, this is going to sound so bougie. I was in Paris recently, but I was, I was in, I, I just thought of, it was a very interesting experience cause I was in Paris. Um, I took like, I gone to Spain for a film festival in Bilbao and, um, Technically, I was like, it was actually a web fest. So it was like a, a, a whole festival celebrating independent uh, series. And I won an award, which was great. I won best director in the independent section, which was rad. Although it's so funny to think about independent was like budgets up to a million. Right. <laughs> Same with music. Like you, you independent, like there's levels to that shit. Like it's yeah. like, yeah, it felt good to, I mean, it, there were a lot of uh, that, that was like towards the end of the whole year of, of web fest cir- mm-hmm. circuit. So it was awesome. Cause I got to finally either meet a bunch of people whose work I'd been seeing over the course of the year. Cause a lot of people went to that festival, um, the Bilbao series land. So it's anyway, shout out to that festival. It's really, really great. I hope to certainly hope to be there again. Um, but after the festival was over, I said, I'm going to just take myself to Paris for like three days and it's easy to fly home from Paris. So take a little mini vacay. And I was taking cabs in Paris and my French is like, okay, you know, like baby French. And my cab drivers kept asking me like very quickly, first, first, third question, do you have, you know, vous avez des enfants? Do you have, do you have kids? And I, I kept thinking so interesting. Like that was like their third question was, do you have kids? And I kept saying, no, I have companies. Yeah. And they're like, oh, would you, and then they immediately followed up by asking if I was a lesbian <laughs> in French. And I was like, what, what is happening? Why? I mean, I, yes, I'm queer, but like, that's not the, the answer. But I mean, if anyone asked me like, Hey, are you going to have kids? I was like, well, I'm, 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 I've got companies. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I actually don't think right now, I mean, I just turned 32, so I'm, you know, I'm very young. But right now, I'm starting to feel like it's, it is not, I don't think it's actually possible to have it all without like a lot of help. But I've realized recently that it's actually been me stepping back from like romantic relationships. Like I have for the last almost two years, I just kind of stepped away um, because I really actually couldn't be a good partner and pursue 
building my business. Uh, I certainly couldn't start something. I think if you're already in a relationship and you have some foundation and you you together can say, okay, we're going to, you know, you're going to be maybe less attentive than you would normally be for this amount of time. But for me to like try to meet someone inside of this space of, of trying to grow. Like they're not, nobody's going to be a priority over No, yeah. they're not at all. And like a real, like, and a lot of my friends are, you know, I have a lot of friends who are very concerned about finding their person, you know, finding their thing. And, and I'm a little, um, there's a little, I have no desire. You know, I do though find, um, having like I'm married now. Right. Um, and that's like interesting and different from the, like now that's a, now that's like been, we've been together for a long time. But before that, like, I had one, like, pretty long relationship early on. And then I had some significant relationships here and there, but short. Um, and then I, I had a lot of time alone. Um, some of it I didn't want. Some of it I thoroughly enjoyed. But the times when I was alone and wanted, like, a relationship, um, it didn't happen until I actually got back to my, yeah, until I, like, it's not even pushed it away, but, like, focused on myself. Right. And, like, what I was doing, because then... You were ready you, to be a good partner. Yeah, because exactly. when you meet somebody, when you're, like, it's like the whole um, uh, Jerry Maguire, that, like, not just Jerry Maguire, but that's, like, a prime case of uh, Hollywood romance. Right. Like, confusing people, and, you know, fictional romance, because right. it's, like... Shakespeare, all of these epic like stories, they're great, but it's like in real life, nobody else is going to com complete you and you shouldn't want that. That's called codependent, you know? Right. Yeah. Like you are your, I mean, I, I, I think the great love of my life is my work and I, I feel very like there are people I think who feel called to raise children and feel yeah. called to cultivate a home and feel this is where they you know, um, this is what they're asked to do. And I, I often think about the Joan Rivers documentary, A Piece of Work. I remember seeing it and being really floored by a couple moments. But one really big moment is like, you know, Joan saying, people ask me, why do I keep going? I'm totally paraphrasing here. But they're like, why, why am I doing it? She says, no one asks a nun why they're a nun. Like, this is... This is who, this is all I can, I, I, if I didn't have to, I, you know, I wouldn't. And I, I often say that, especially here in New York City, like, you kind of got to need it like water, you know? Need or, a relationship? Like, or no, need, need, need your work. Like, I, you got to, you got to need, if you want to, otherwise I think the city will kill you. Yeah. Like, especially if you're here, if you moved here for that purpose, which most people, like, this is. Not the place I was, if you're looking to find a fan, like if you're looking for that, like it can happen here for sure. But right. like, like, yeah, I think. I mean, unless your family's been here for generations, you know, right. I think about the people who grew up in, you know, like Forest Park, Forest Hills, right? You know, like these, <laughs> these there's New York is so big. There yeah. are, there is like literal suburbia, yeah. you know, in, you know, just down the block, right. you know, and we can, we can head out to the, you know, there's the dichotomy of like, you know, uh going out to to brownsville and then like right up the street and like the canarsie area and there's like these huge homes that are yeah. on the, you know i mean it's just so much right but there clearly there's been centuries of people 
and then millennia before that, right? Who, yeah. who were here. Um, and those people, I can understand that they just like, I don't know. I think sometimes about the people who live in Bay Ridge and that's just where they live. Yeah. You know, they aren't doing anything else in New York. They're just living in Bay Ridge. Yeah. And that's allowed. That's great. But yeah, most of us, you know, I, I came to New York with a purpose. So let's go let's there. About, so you're, that. um, let's talk about that. So congratulations on, you know, um, the directing accomplishments and stuff like that. Um, now from what I remember, it started with acting with you, right? Yeah. Um, well, well yeah, I, I mean, I know it's complicated, but let's go. Um, how does it start for you? Let's... Yeah. So I, yeah, it's awesome. I've gotten a chance to kind of think through this a lot and honestly, so I will say that I think that I am descended of a of a millennial line of storytellers. You know, we think about humanity and I think if we go back to the deepest, deepest, like through the roots, through the core, through the center of, of, of existence, like at the beginning there were those who who went to the hunt and then those who told the story. Mm-hmm. Um, humans have always existed with a need for storytellers. I think that it, we know that it's primal. We have evidence that it's primal. And I can't, um, it wasn't like a decision, right? I don't remember being a child who was like, I'm going to be a star. <laughs> Cause I actually think that that, um, comes with some privilege, like to be able to think that that's an option. And we were, we struggled, you know, we were, my mom, my dad was, uh, there are reasons for these, for his, uh, his way he, that he behaved, um, that I'm exploring in another film project, but you know, he left us a lot. And my mom was a young mom by herself trying to figure things out. We lived in, you know, we moved every year for like 12 years. We lived in one room apartments and I, you know, sharing a bed with my mom. And I went to some, um, uh, before after school programs and things that, you know, I have other friends from the area who are like, oh my gosh, you went to that place. Like, you know, that are, um, and what's terrible is that they're predominantly uh, African-American or, or in South Florida, it's usually a lot of immigrants. So Haitian, Bahamian, Cuba, you know, everything else. Um, and I'd be like the one white kid because I was that poor, um, which is so dumb. Uh, and but inside of all that, which is another reason that that part of the world is so interesting, um, there is a lot of wealth and there are a lot of opportunities. So, you know, there was always a music program. There were gifted programs. Um, there were teachers who kept seeing things in me and my preschool teacher telling my mom, you know, test her for the gifted program because they had one there. You know, it's like the opportunity of education is huge because that program didn't care how rich you were. It's not like your private school. So, you know, we came from all over the place. And, and when I moved around so much, I, I, w- I never moved out of my school because I was in this like program. Mm-hmm. So it, it allowed stability. And I was in this, you know, because I had an IQ level that <laughs> whatever, like put me in that program. I was with these, you know, other um, overachieving, largely hyper kids. Yeah. You know, and then they all put us all on Ritalin. But um, <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, there had been a school of the arts that they opened in 1993. 
Um, and then they moved that school, um, got a huge endowment, moved it to the, what is it, where it is now, the Alexander W. Dreyfus School of the Arts in downtown West Palm. And they opened the previous campus as a middle school. And this happened when I, I was in fourth grade. And so now my, you know, meanwhile, I'm in church, I'm, I'm singing, you know, I'm making up stories, I'm doing the talent shows, I'm doing these things. But I don't remember thinking, like, maybe I thought I was going to be a singer. I really liked Celine Dion. But, you know, they opened up this middle school and my teacher said, oh, you know, you should audition for this school. This is a good place for you. And so I auditioned and I got into the school <coughs> and I got in for singing. I didn't get in for acting. I think I wrote my own monologue as a fifth grader. So who don't know how that, who knows how that went? Do you still have it somewhere? Oh gosh, I wish I, I probably not. I know I hand wrote it. I'm sure it was dramatic. <laughs> I have no idea what it was, but I, I, um, I got into the, the voice department. It's so funny because I'm in sixth grade, right? I have a vo- I'm a voice major. Um, I know. Uh, and the fall term, they had everyone um, go to all the other art departments and like learn, you know, what do the dancers do? What do you know? So that the school could have a, you know, just a cohesion yeah. to it. And I, we did this for like two weeks and I spent my two weeks with the theater department and the theater teachers go, you need to be with us. You know, this is where you need to be. So, and then they're like re audition. So then I re auditioned for theater and in seventh grade, I changed majors. <laughs> That sounds like a great program, though. Oh, my gosh. Um, like, that sounds better than some college programs. And as far as, like, yeah, just yeah. how it sounds like it works. Well, I mean, it's, it's so crazy that schools become, like, one of the most competitive. Mm-hmm. Because it's a public school. That's the yeah. thing. That they, the main thing is that this is a public school. So there's, like, a, you know, kids came from every part of Palm Beach County. And Palm Beach County is, as we know, because, you know, obviously it is this home of Mar-a-Lago. And it is also the home of, like really really challenging circumstances and a lot of immigrants you know a lot of my friends growing up literally came over on inner tubes from Haiti like um, and we're basically you know I can I could sail to the Bahamas as quickly as it would take me to you know drive to Miami yeah (laughs) with the traffic Um, so you really are in the Caribbean and you opportunity to be exposed to just like music and culture and um, and then inside of that to have these public schools that had at that time a good amount of state funding to provide these programs with these great what teachers. What city is this? This is in um, like uh, West Palm Beach, okay. Florida and like Palm Beach County. My dad's from Miami. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, but I know sort of now. But like Miami also like the Florida, you know, Florida is so many things. Yeah. Florida is so many things. Um but like my dad's from Overtown, Miami. He's from Overtown. Yeah, man. Which, which when he was a little kid was like a thriving black community. Yeah. And he was there and witnessed uh, the freeway get built through the middle of it. Yeah. And then it become what it was when I saw it in like the 80s, yeah. which was scary when I was a little kid. Like, we drove, we were driving up to Wynwood, my mom and I, and we got off the highway and we were driving through Overtown and my mom, you know, instinctively, and my mom's like, you know, she's a good lady. She really is, you know, but she immediately was just like, we're not where we're supposed to be. Like she, she had this like reaction in the car. She's like, we shouldn't be here. And I'm like, oh, don't be racist, mom. <laughs> you know? And she's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, you're not supposed to be here. I'm like, I think that we should drive where we are and you know what? It's going to be okay. Like yeah. I know over town, you know, they're trying, right. Yeah. But also like not to diminish the, like uh, her reaction was based on, you know, she's 
her own childhood. Like they knew, yeah, Overtown was a, that yeah. they had some struggles Yeah, and continue to this day. And that, that part of Miami is so funny because similar to here in, in New York, like definitely here in Bushwick, yeah, you have this complete juxtaposition of like wealth and poverty just back to back. It's like you're on one block and you're, 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 you're still in Overtown. Right. And then you like go another block and it's like a huge, you know, uh, really pretty, um, I'll plus a P there, like a really pretty, like shopping, dining, you know, they've got a Barry's boot camp there. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like right behind, literally right behind it are, you know, old style, single family homes, Florida, you know, and then, and then you're like, it's a constant. Yeah. I mean, you know, and yeah. people in that, are that pe- people in that community being served by, by that, or are we just pushing them out, which is something that you obviously we feel very much here in Bushwick. Yeah. Um, I do like Bushwick for, I think the way, like, I, I don't think it's ever going to be Williamsburg. I don't think so. Like, I think it's going to be what it is right now. Like, like it's yeah. going to be, like, that's my hope anyway. Well, there's the trash thing. You know, I always feel like it can't get too nice because we have a trash processing facility. <laughs> and we have housing projects. Like, and we have, like, you know what I mean? We have people that yeah, have... Yeah, they're not going to move the NYCHA housing at the at the Bushwick houses. They're, yeah. You know, like, that's... And I, for one, like that. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want it to change completely. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's it's been fun to be here and see it, like, grow and change. Right. But I'm glad that... I'm like glad I that love I live syndicated, in a building with people but I also <laughs> yeah, and I live in a building with people who've been here for generations. You know what I mean? Right. Like I love that. This like, is, feels like home to me. Yeah, you know, like this being yeah. in a community like this, being in a larger Hispanic community, like that's just normal to like my upbringing. Yeah, and um, even though I'm French, my family's French Canadian, so of course I took French all through school and never never. I took didn't Spanish. know that. I have some family yeah. um, up in Quebec. Yes. Uh, yeah, my aunt actually, she married a guy up there. That's, ah, yeah. we we my great grandparents moved to South Florida in the twenties, which feels you know um, pretty pretty early for white people. Like it's pre-train, um, pre-flagler. What took them down there? Weather actually. Okay. Um, they were piano tuners and piano players, and they played in all the churches. And there's before air conditioning, so they're. I think traveling around and, and t- pianos are going out of tune a lot. Um, but there's also been this thing of like French Canadians moving to South Florida. Okay. Like there's a lot of French Canadians down there. So, um, yeah, the, my grandfather actually, he was born in Montreal, but he believed he was born in America because they moved him down when he was two months old and he never knew he wasn't. So it's always, you know, think about the immigration yeah. challenges we're having today and like my own family's, uh, history with that is so you know but they never the northern border you never even showed a passport yeah until five years ago so they, they were constantly moving back and forth but yeah we've had um and a bit of an anomaly down there unless you're indigenous to the area we've had you know family there for you know i feel very florida like i'm, I'm as much as i'm a new yorker and i'm not leaving new york like my my florida is pretty strong and and honestly that space it's like if I had been born anywhere else I don't know that I'd be sitting here because you know often with the arts like access costs money I mean I didn't get to take ballet classes or 
I didn't have a private, you know, I went to the school with the kids who were in soccer and travel soccer and they had violin and, you know, and I was at the city aftercare, you know, like sitting under a tree eating a old peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever those, those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches they would give us were crazy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, crazy enough, we're, we're taking tennis classes at the same place the, the Williams sisters are because mm-hmm. we're in Delray Beach. So I'm, I'm doing tennis with my, you know, basically free aftercare in the same courts with the Williams sisters because that's where they trained. Yeah. And, you know, my summer camp costs 50 bucks a week for my mom and they would take us to... You know, the Everglades and, the, you know, it, it, like... And I... Mm, civic city programs like that. I... And this is how it should be. Like, this is how it should be. Like, and it's... I'm glad that you had that. Like, I'm glad for some experiences I had growing up. But, like, this... These opportunities should be there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so many people slip through the cracks because they just weren't where the opportunities were right like it just was because they're and it's like partially because like my high school is endowed by a foundation and i guess the best way to think about it is like a football high schools have football teams and they have like booster programs especially in like texas that's big yeah right so the idea of that but for the arts school yeah it's very fashionable thank goodness it's fashionable to support the arts and and what happened while i was in high school so i got into the high school the arts i got in for theater i also auditioned for visual arts just in case i'm switching it all over i get in for theater i'm doing technical theater initially and acting i'm doing both i'm auditioning i'll audition for the play and then i would go across the hall and sign up for for tech. If I didn't get in the play, I'd be on the crew. I eventually become the president of the department um, for like, because the Thespian Society, International Thespian mm-hmm. Society was was the whole department. Basically, we you, you kind of had to be in it. Yeah. Um, so it'd be like 250 members. We were, at that time, like we won the most awards ever. You know, we, it was it was great to have a... Um, it was great to get all my snobbery out in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the state conference and we were really, we were really snobby. Be like, oh, these poor kids. They're just, oh, they're just so, aren't they so cute doing their singing in the hallway? And, you know, judging all their performances. And I, somewhere around junior year of high school, I, um, I worked on a play by, my plosives. Um, I worked on a play by uh, Leslie Avazian about the Armenian genocide called Nine Armenians. And, she came down from New York to work with us on it, which was really cool. And we toured that show around the state at all these different competitions. And it was the first time I truly understood that that storytelling, that theater can truly give voice to the voiceless because the Armenian genocide is not something that we are taught because of our allyship with Turkey. It is erased from our history books and, you know, pre-internet or like, Early at that point, it's two, now we're two thousand three. So we, we, I never, uh, I never had a computer. Like I had a computer, but I never had the internet. Like I, I literally graduated high school, never, never having the internet, and I never had a new computer until I went to college. Which, given how technically inclined I am, feels really uh, interesting. We just didn't have it. I had like hand me down gateways. So where, so then where do you go to college? So I'm in, I'm in school. Oh, sorry about Leslie Basin. It's just that it, um, it, that show opened Changed kind of the way. Well, yeah, it opened up. People learned about, we were really giving voice to the, to the voiceless and sharing uh, history and giving and honoring those who died and honoring, 
a horrible event in, in the human experience. And we were able to do that through theater. And that was when I decided I was going to train as an actor. Mm -hmm. I'd been on the fence uh -huh. about tech and, you know, and I thought, you know what, I, I'm very good at stage managing and I'm very good at, you know, marketing. Um, but if I'm able to embody a character and give voice, I should do that. Cause that felt again, like the calling thing. It was like, okay, this is something that I am, I am not uniquely me. So I'm uniquely able to do. So I auditioned for every program you can imagine in the U.S. I even got into a, a, a really lovely program in the U.K. like Unconditional Offer, which was very nice, but zero financial aid, right? I, I didn't audition for NYU because that was just not going to be a <laughs> it was not going to be an option. Um, I remember being like at that time. I think they were going through some stuff, so. Uh, Juilliard, remember that wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be, and but I, I did like a bazillion auditions, and I got into the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. At that time, it was just called the North Carolina School of the Arts, and um, and I, I knew it was a really well-respected program, and I said yes because you know they also had financial aid, and it was a state school. It is a state school, um, and so I moved in two thousand five to. North Carolina to Winston-Salem, which speaking of Williamsburg, you, you might as well think of Williamsburg, that that's Winston-Salem. Yeah. Like the same trajectory, old factory town, uh, Camel Cigarettes, Haynes, like Sarah Lee, like so many things are from there. And um, now that's all glass and converted lofts, uh, but really thriving, uh, really thriving community. And um, I made the decision to move to North Carolina in order to achieve in-state tuition because I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. And uh, it's crazy to think I worked my, I worked so hard for scholarships and I, I got, had enough for a year. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, I worked, I worked so hard, but I had, I got through, I got my first year. Yeah. You know, and I'm still paying off the loans for the, <laughs> The rest of the years, but I did get in state. I, I moved in. I moved to the state. I became a part of the North Carolina. You know, I was given given back, and um, and I loved it. I loved Winston Salem, and it was there that I got involved with musicians, and I started throwing parties, and I started hosting concerts, and being a part of the you know just the scene there, the DIY scene in Winston Salem, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was really great to be in a, a really cool, thriving art community um, while in conservatory. Because, I mean, I was, I was in school 18 hours a day. Yeah. Um, and I, I highly, you know, for me, that was the right program to be in. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, you know, graduated and we do things where we do a showcase and we go to L.A. and we go to New York and we get on stage and try to get agents and... I didn't really understand myself as an actor quite quite well enough at that time because I always played older characters in school, um, and I got nothing. You know, I I I think I didn't pick the right scenes, and you know, I just nothing. Like no one no one knew what to do with me, and I got no. I mean, I got like one call, um, and I took a couple couple meetings, and they were lovely, but there was just nothing. So I went back to Winston. I was supposed to work on a project and it fell through and, you know, and, but I had always done movies there and I had always been, I'd always been making movies because my best friend was a film student. 
So going back to middle school, going back to high school, I'm making ads for theater. I'm making movies. We made like a feature film on a Sony Handycam. And in, at North Carolina School of the Arts, it's been a great film program. I was like always in the films and my best friends were in film. And I watched and learned, like just sponged everything up I could from this, the students and the teachers and learned how to be on set, learned what lenses what lenses do what and why and and why do you do that angle and what's this called and just everything I could and so um I took a couple months off after graduating really just chilled and then moved to New York in 2009 in August nice yeah and then uh how does it go from acting like when did you start direct how does that so the interesting thing is that I've always been directing Mm -hmm. you know it's like I'm feeling now to be finally the kind of doing people used to say like, you got to pick something. And I'm like, we, we don't, you don't tell Da Vinci that he's got to pick something. I also personally feel like, so do you, you consider yourself a, a maker yeah, and a storyteller. Um, yeah. Which includes different things. I have like 18 ways that I tell stories. Yeah. I, that's what I do. <laughs> I also strongly feel like we were talking about um, Diana. Uh, we were talking about Bushwick star. Um, and like that event, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people, um, the one I went, I was surprised. You know what I mean? Um, it's funny, like with Bushwick star being right here and like, I haven't, I've known about it. And I think I might've went to something. Yeah, in you, need to, you need to like, I need to put you in touch. Cause the, the, I feel like that's a space that you would really thrive in. But it, but like that night, like me thinking like, Oh, I don't really know. The, and then running into people like, do you know Sean Randall? Yeah. Um, of course I know Sean. So like him, Sean was there. Yeah. And like, there was somebody else. Yeah, uh, you Amara, Sean, yeah. Do you know Amara Brady? She's, she's yes. really cool. Yes. Uh, writer. Yes. Actor. Um, but like both of them. And I was in a class with Amara like that like that month. So like basically that day or like I saw her and, you know, didn't know that she was going to be at the, at the, at the party. But like the thing is, I feel like particularly, um, artists who are thinking like, especially like actors, if they're thinking New York or LA, both of them have cool things, but I really feel strongly about New York. If you are somebody who wants to do, multiple things yeah. i feel like this is like a great place well I, I i put it i mean i like la too like i'm yeah. from south florida so when i go to la i'm i feel like i'm at home yeah. i'm like i'm at home except there's mountains and the ocean is freezing like it's but otherwise i'm like mm, yes it's kind of like you could take miami to west palm beach and if you scooped it up and then splat it back out like in a wider <laughs> right <laughs> that's la because you got beverly hills and then you <laughs> like it feels it just feels like home when i'm there um but the opportunity to accidentally bump into the right person on the subway does not exist. Exactly. You stay in your car and you drive to your things and then you find parking for an hour. And then, and here in New York, it's like when you think you need to meet someone and you're like, man, I really need to see that person. I really need to see that person. I wonder when I'll see them. And then You'll like run into the them. train, the train doors will open and they're standing right in front of you. Yeah. And you're like, thank you, New York gods. <laughs> and then it's like, also if, you are working on multiple things, the proximity, right? Like that you're not going, you're, you don't have to travel two hours. Like you have to, a, go, to the, you have to go to the West side. Yeah. And then like, Oh, but my, my art friends are in downtown and Oh, I need to, you know, but I, I have to go up to Burbank. Oh, I need, <laughs> yeah. I, I, but again, like I like LA, but it, I think 
there are artists that are there now that are working on changing that. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think it, the challenge there is because it's more spread out. Like it's just, yeah. But I, my brother's out there right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, excited about brother. that place. Um, oh man. Yeah. It's, it's, I've got some like theater friends out there who are literally going to try to change the game for theater in LA, which is awesome. So it's, I think there's a, there's, there's like a lot of, of just potential in Los Angeles and in the same way that New York is, there's always, uh, there's always potential here. And I, and I'm even, I'm coming up on my 10 years and I'm reminding myself to not get too nostalgic and to constantly be invigorated by everything that we see, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the new and the young and the like, you know, 23 year olds who are just arriving who are making you know amazing cool shit and have you heard of uh jen waldman yes i have i have heard of her you should um so i just like that's whose class i was in with amara and yeah. um she's a really she's really sharp i haven't worked with her in performance um i did take another performance class after like but i wanted to take her class because i heard it was a good community and a good thing Mm -hmm. um and so for january one of my resolutions was like oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna take something at her school and like she's they're revamping the website and whatever but basically you have to sign up and then you get on the mailing list to find out when the next what the next series of classes are um but because i signed up in december i don't know if i missed like the first mailing or whatever but it was like right before the new year I got something that there were some openings for this class called shift Mm -hmm. and this was like about mindset and business of acting and I'm like you know January that's a good time to take a class like that yeah but I was kind of like oh this will I'm sure I'll get something out of it and then the first class was like revelatory Um, I was like oh of course I need of course mindset like of all the things that like as an actor like that's of course shit, but you know, we don't think of it that way, but like, it was like, of course you should start with the mindset, but like she has this whole thing. She's part of, it's called like start with why. Mm. Um, and she, she has a podcast, mm. but it makes me think of it. The not be too nostalgic thing because on this podcast recently, um, she was talking about resumes mm. and she said, uh, resumes usually are, a representation of sunk costs for actors. <laughs> Be- and the idea was that basically that, like that you present your resume. It's like the only profession where, yeah, I mean, I guess you send out your resumes for yeah, other jobs. It's, 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 well, I, I mean, I was going to say my side note thought on resumes is when I'm, cause I was just, you know, casting obviously the show. It's like when I see a resume, it's often for me to find, um, in points. Right. So if I see someone went to a specific school or I know that they worked with a specific person, it's like our way of going like, oh, you know. Yeah. John. It's like a reference point. Over at so-and-so. And so I can say, you know, I can look, I mean, it can be good or bad. I can look at a resume and go, oh, you worked with John. That's awesome. And I can also be like, oh, you worked with John. Yeah. How did, how did that go? Right. You know, and like, did, do we have a, you know, mutual, because I think whether we like it or not, it's still a business of like, we want to work with the, we have to work, we have to fix this, this like desire to only work with those we know. I think it means we need to just meet more people. Otherwise shows look 
very similar and their crews look very similar. Yeah. Um, but that I think is the human desire to connect. Yeah. Not to, not to knock Je- what Jen's saying. I think well, she's no, but both, she was, she's, she's what she right was talking about is like also like, so you, your resume, like for, and especially like if you think about like for Broadway auditions and casting directors, like they're looking at your, they're judging you on the resume and it's like basically based on your past work, which your past work is, is cool but basically the thing she was saying is do if you think your best work is in the past like you know what i mean that's right. kind of the the paradox that of you it. can't no and you, the idea is that i'm going to do my best work the day i die right um because if i'm lucky enough i'm going to be hopefully i'll have had many decades yeah if, if this planet supports us that long and i will get better and better at telling stories because the more stories that I experience myself, the more able I am to to new to to understand them and share and reflect them back in a in an ever deepening nuanced way. Yeah. Um, and so the hope, of course, is that when I'm eighty nine, ninety four, whatever, if I'm lucky, um, and my body still works, um, and. And even if my body doesn't work, like that's... Oh, we'll have robot bodies. I mean, we might have exoskeletons by then. But I mean, even even then, it's like your body is not uh, what matters. I think it was more my mind. If my mind's still working enough, um, uh, that I can, you know, my understanding of story, it will only get better. Yeah. And that, therefore, my best work is always yet to come. Yeah. Which... It's hard because then I, I do hold hold myself to a very high standard at all times because I'm I'm, but maybe I need to relax that because by nature of time, I will always get better at telling stories because um, I'm gonna have more life. Or I could walk out the door today and this is the last story I tell, but it'll have been my best story. It has to be. There's no other option. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I agree with her, her, her feelings there. And I think the shift is like, you know, when I was in high school, I was in the directing program because that was an option. And I directed a full production of Waiting for Lefty as a senior for the directing class. I was the one who directed the show. Um, I was creating marketing for theater when I was in high school with my friend, my best friend in film. Um, I'm literally just doing what I did in high school. Uh, I'm very glad I got conservatory training as an actor um, I think the craft is, is vital. Craft is vital. Yeah. I have craft. Um, and my craft continues to grow and my craft doesn't, however, actors, our job is to understand the world and again, ask the why and guess the why and ask the why and ask the why and keep asking the why and the how and to understand humanity. That's our job. So I think of myself as a, as a storyteller, right? But actor is probably like, like, um, the thing I've been doing the longest, right? Mm -hmm. We look back to my history. I'm 32 now. And I started when I was 11. So 21 years I've been training and working as an actor. Um, but I'm also a director just by, you know, in the same way that the company Shakespeare's, you know, the Kings, they were, they were also directors and it's, it's never, these things flow. Sometimes I'm better at acting in a project and sometimes I might be better at directing it. Um, and then I think I had to write an essay recently about why I started 
like who my influences are as a camera operator. And I realized that, you know, when I was eight, specifically a little princess with Alfonso Cuaron and Emmanuel Lebesky came out. And I remember being kind of shell-shocked by that movie and how it looked very specifically remembered, like the composition of the frame and being really obsessed with how that film looked. And without knowing it, Emmanuel Lebesky became, I loved everything he made. It was like all the movies that he worked on in the 90s into the early 2000s. I wasn't always tracking that he was the cinematographer, but these were the films that were connecting very, very closely to me. So I started, I think, from that age, developing my camera eye, and I started you know, taking pictures constantly and not knowing that it helped having these schools. It helped that I had friends who were photographers that were, that were film students because um, it just felt like, yeah, like there wasn't, like there's no limits. Um, but again, I say that, and I'm like, man, that's privileged to be like, there's no limits. <laughs> Cause it says there are, there are always limits. Like, you know, we were in poverty when I was a kid and we like leapfrogged out of it, you know, cause my mom could get a loan for a house. I think, yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's, there's obstacles though. Like, you know what I mean? Like I do think there aren't limits. Maybe there's, there's no just, limits to what you can do, but I, some people have like, depending, like there are, though real obstacles um and some of them are very difficult like yeah and they're systemic and it's like yeah. you you said in the beginning about like losing people through you know not having access to education that opportunities can come from and that's so real like i am often heart i'm heartbroken i think it's the best way to put it i'm heartbroken at the art i never get to see i that just reminded me of something and this is like the like um so i at one point, one year, I did a thing. It was called Living Voices, and yeah. um, it tours, and it's like these one-person shows about history, and a couple of things I remember from that, but one in particular, because um, like I did one in New Jersey, like it went all over. Um, I was in Se- I was living in Seattle at the time, and it's a Seattle-based company, but it the show goes all over, um, and there was one show that I did that was in Washington state, but was, I can't remember if I flew to this other part of the state or drove, but it was like far out of Mm -hmm. like Seattle. Also Washington state is huge. (laughs) Yeah. But it was super rural. Yeah. And, um, it was at this high school and I had, so I had dreads two different times in my life. So I had like long, not as long as they are now, but like back then I had them also. And so I'm in this rural place. I was must have been 21. Oh man! And um, so so then, like at that age, when you go to schools, you, like you're, you're I was young enough to be like still cool though, right? Like off the bat, like right. and probably like with my dreads now, it probably still would kind of be. But back then, it was like really because. You know. Also, you were like you're so close to their age, exactly. but you're like, yeah, I mean, we all idolize the 21 year olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, 21 was so old. Yeah. Now we're in our 30s and we're like, <laughs> 21. Right. You're a baby. <laughs> but there were. I remember this kid. Like I remember just meeting some of these bright kids, and this one kid in particular, he was either a junior or senior in high school, 
and he was a white kid, um, but he's in this rural town, and I found out that like he's like was like a student representative for their like local city council and stuff, and like I'm like yeah, so what are you know like at lunch like just so like what are your plans? And he's like not sure, and I'm like are are you applying to like college? Like I was like I went to college later, but I was like doing my crazy like I was not like academically um I was doing well in the arts like in, right. in school and that's like Listen, that was my saving grace through you and high me school both me and my well in my school I wasn't allowed to get bad grades or we we got kicked out which is the other thing yeah. you know like they that school was a bit curated to having only the best of the best because if, and if like I wish see in my public school we didn't have we had arts programs but we didn't have like an arts school, school. like if we did I think it would have been it's so well. It's kind of crazy because I think about like LaGuardia here in New York has like six thousand students at it. Yeah, it's like six thousand students, and I'm like, what? How do you, how do you provide? You know, like my school had like thirteen hundred. Yeah, and there were two hundred and fifty students in the the um, theater program, and that was like felt like too much. And I know that that school has had to grow because population has grown in South Florida, and it is public school, so it's got to like, yeah, you know, match and stuff. But I just remember being like, how? Yeah. Do you have six thousand students? I mean, I guess they're they're doing their best. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I was gonna say about this kid, like he didn't think that he could even go, go to, to college. college, and he's like clearly bright, and it's like that's being in a place, yeah, rural where, um, just you're not around people who are even like yeah. who are thinking beyond the town yeah. like you know yeah it's like the opera man birth luck is like such a thing you know i mean i think very often about the idea that i i could have been born in a village in south india you know and 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 never seen you know which doesn't mean that that village life is not great but like i mean i'm so grateful for cell phones i'm so so i'm i stepped away from the mic for a second i'm just so grateful for front facing cameras to say the least, um, for the advent of the smartphone and the idea that it has in many ways gotten, I mean, there are plenty of people on the planet who do not have phones, but there are a lot of people who do. And even like, remember when they were doing that dance challenge last year? I don't, Kiki, right? And there was that one video of the like guys in the rice paddy field. Did you see that one? I don't know if I saw that Gotta look this one up. It's really great. These two guys are like literally pulling like ox across like a rice paddy doing the same like, like, hey, Kiki thing. Yeah. And it's just, they're just joyful. And oh my goodness, we know their stories now. Um, so I just, I love cell phones for that reason. I love, I love, again, front-facing cameras. You gave, we've given people, all people need is an audience, even if the audience is just themselves. Like just being able to look at themselves and, and talk to themselves or the, I, just the idea that someone might watch it. That's. Is enough to make people tell stories. Now, whether they tell stories in a way that is, um, good is subjective, but like whether they tell stories in a way that is um it's like humans must tell stories but not all humans are storytellers right so it's it's going back to like you know what our job is as storytellers and why it's so valid and so important but the human like obviously like just need to tell their story uh is so much more clear now with these phones and it's amazing because for the first time in the history literally in the history of the world people are poor people 
can tell their own story. Mm-hmm. And it's not the colonizer and it's not the wealthy elite who are writing down what they see. We've got the guys in the rice paddy <laughs> in India, like telling, showing, literally just showing us their, their life. It's, uh, in, and what really is frustrating at times is that all of this is being stored on, on servers owned by Google and, uh, Facebook and, no one's, we know they, they could just erase all of it and there's no way to, there's no way to archive this, but we are on a, on a completely new experience of humanity right now. Like, yeah. Anyway, I just really excited by the idea of, of just, man, like when we were kids, it was really cool that the internet even worked and that we could like, I don't even know, like I think we just played games. Yeah. <laughs> we just played games. But I, it was just really cool that you could like message someone. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like I can open up Instagram and and drop myself into a village in northern Laos. <laughs> now I'm finding like one of my things for this year, though, is like finding... Um, like limiting my screen time also. Yes. No, um, agreed. You got to limit your screen time, but just the... But but yeah, no, but I agree with you. Like the connection, the, uh, yeah, the, the ability to connect with people anywhere. And hopefully it changes what happened to that kid, right? I guess that's right. what I was thinking about. Yeah. It's like now, you know, maybe those guys are like totally, like they're making movies while they're working their fields. Right. You know, it's like a both and. You know, they can have a role, like they can like support their families and do what their families have done for generations in that part of the world, in that, in that village. At the same time, they're making funny videos, they're doing, you know, stuff and sharing it. And that, that's just great. You can make a movie like on an iPhone. Yes. Um, And that then uh, ties back to uh, then like with like end of like the contest you were in the film mm-hmm. festival you were in where it's like also a million dollar budget yeah, is considered independent. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that's so interesting about that is that the, um, so in, in the U S like, so American culture is, uh, we, I don't say we own the world. That's really a difficult way to say it, but we have infiltrated pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though there were advancements in storytelling and there obviously in across the globe, like in cinema being able to kind of happen everywhere as it was being developed. Um, and which is such a young, it's such a young method of storytelling video. It's only been with us for a little over a hundred years. Yeah. So like when we think about millennia old theater and then our like a hundred year old cinema, <laughs> um, um, it's, uh, American culture is sort of just running the show in so many places. I was, I was, you know, right. I was in Paris and of course like SVU was on in yeah. French. It was like a French dubbed SVU, but like that was what was on TV. So other countries give a lot of money to, um, digital content and to digital media and to independent series. Cause they know that they can't compete with the Hollywood television machine so they're not these like Canada and Australia and Spain and France and, you know, and places, uh, India as well. Um, probably not China. I don't think so. But, um, uh, and even in pl- parts of Russia, um, like there are independent 
there's like really cool people working in Russia trying to, you know, make good stuff happen there. Um, they give a lot of money to independent makers to try to, you know, create content that's their own. That and, and you know, I think nationalism is crazy. Um, but yeah, there's this way of being like, you know, this is made by Canada, Canada. Right. <laughs> you know, because they can't. And so then here in the U.S., we don't have any support for independent stuff because we have the big machine. And so like my show would be like, we spent $25,000 on our show and uh, we are sitting next to work in competition. And it's like, what was your budget? And they're, you know, from Canada and supported by the government. And they're like, oh, it was $680,000. You're yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then I'm also like, oh, but then why were there these, you know, like a great show, but they're like small things. I'm going like, how is it? Where, where did, <laughs> what, how did you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the, you know, gosh, a whole other can of worms. I do believe that, um, capitalism is, I think, mm, a positive for the arts in its way of mm, scarcity of resources, pushing create creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the powers that be that need to change. But I, I don't know. Mm, it's a, I traveled a lot. And when I've been in other places, sometimes I'm very shocked by the lack of independent work. Because when everything is hosted by the government, you know, oversight, like, you know, going to big major metropolitan areas in Europe and being like, like, I'm, you know, we're here, you know, in, in Laura's shops upstairs and like not being able to find independent burlesque. Right. Like in Paris. Yeah. And people go, well, you have to find, you have to read it. It's like, well, I read French and I'm, <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe it was summer. So therefore, but like, you know, the idea that entire major metropolitan areas like clear out in the summer, you know, and they're just, they all take a break, which is probably a positive, but then you're here in New York in the summer, there's free, you know, there, there's concerts and there's, and this is when we all make crazy shit. So I don't know. I, I want more support. I would like our tax dollars to support the arts. The NEA should have a much higher, like... It should at least go back to what it used, used to be. Used to be, yeah. Like, yeah. It should be... We should be able to, you know, and these grants should go across the nation. Of course, we are also all of Europe inside of our country, right? We have so many people, so many more people than all of these, you know. I always love when people go like, well, we should... You know, Norway has all these... Polit-, and I'm like, Norway is smaller than Brooklyn, just there are less people in Norway than there are in Brooklyn. So I love Norway, but it's just a different beast. Um, and they're also a, well becoming less homogenized culture. Like there, there are more cultures coming in now, but we have our, our challenges in America are just a different, just a different challenge. Yeah. But I do think we should push that way. Oh, we can push that way. Yeah. Um, we can, we can push, we can take their, like what, what works and the ideas of what works and, and go towards that. Cause especially like people always, the big thing here is like, well, how, who pays for it? Well, it's like, we all, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like the military budget is crazy yeah. and, and people were like, Oh, well did it. It's like, no, cause the troops aren't getting like, the troops aren't getting the money. They're not getting the benefits that they and should contract, get. That's not the where the money is going. Are. So it's... Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's such a weird game because we literally... Um, we spend so much money to 
really like, I, I mean, it is the challenge. Of, I mean, God, goodness, that we could talk forever about violence yeah. and, and like and like the human need for violence and the fact that, you know, we have a, a, an arsenal as a country that is literally there to just tell everyone, like, if you fuck with us, we will smite you. Like, because that's how humans respond. <laughs> and, you know, if you know someone's got a really big stick and that they will hit you with it, you won't try to hit them, which is stupid. We should just not hit each other. Right. But humans are animals and it's difficult to... You know, also, again, going back to arts, it's why I believe violence is really necessary and very, very helpful on screen and in video games. And anyone who suggests that suggests that violence in cinema and on screens or in video games is like making people worse doesn't understand humans. We have bloodlust and it must be satisfied. Yeah. And I mean, I consider <laughs> myself a pretty like I want peace. Yeah, um, me too. And... You really I like... also really do martial arts and mm-hmm. love it and find the most peace doing that. So it is uh, like, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah, I can't, it's hard to explain, but I, we, our society has advanced so much faster than we as humans have a hundred years ago here in New York in 1919, it would be socially acceptable for an aristocratic person to literally stab someone on the street completely like, especially if they were poor, it'd be completely fine. If you were a rich person and you stabbed a poor person, who cares? It was... Our current commander-in-chief said that he could... Right, he could go shoot. I know. But like the idea that it was... You know, nowadays, it's only socially acceptable for poor people to kill each other. But it's, you know... <laughs> but like they did that a hundred years ago, which is, is such a... feels like a long time in our, in our very short memories, but is a blink, not even a blink. It's like a quarter of a... Nothing. It's yeah. nothing. It's nothing in the existence. Um we have really rapidly moved to a place of nonviolence is being acceptable uh, socially as a culture, which is awesome. But I do not believe that the human animal is, is like uh, as moved as fast. And it's also complicated <laughs> because like, I believe in the nonviolent like protests of the sixties, but they also get um, oversimplified Um like it was more than that. Like it was, they were still active. It was still a very active movement. And like you also, not everybody was with it. And this goes to Gandhi also, like Gandhi um, promoted nonviolence, but there was also a more militant wing that was there and was like ready Mm -hmm. to like actively fight. And so then when you have that, like the people who you're rebelling against are like, I want to, let's talk to the nonviolent guy. Right. Because we don't want to deal with the, we don't want like, yeah, it's so, it's so hard because, you know, right now I, we're, we're all, we're so politically divided. And, and the question often becomes for me about like, what is my purpose as a storyteller inside of all of this? Like, you know, I'm developing a movie right now that's based on the life and death of my paternal grandmother. And I was talking to my cousin last night about this. And I said, you know, the real talk is, as a as a cisgendered white woman in America, despite being very low representation in our storytelling, as we know, based on like how many directors there are and how many things like that, um, that notwithstanding, uh, my stories have been on screen and on stage for the most part. Obviously, as a woman, there's been less stories, but they've been on. They've been we've been looking at them for a long time, um, and so if I'm making something. I just, I feel very much like you have to be certain that the world needs 
<laughs> you have to think really hard. Like, do do we need this story? I think that's the thing that you that if you are uh, an activist artist, uh, specifically one who is you know less melanin than the other people around them, um, uh, that you are really conscious about what stories you're telling and that sometimes being a storyteller can shift and that you don't always have to be the center of the story. And maybe my job sometimes is just to support other stories or take the privilege I have and and pass it or, you know, move into a different, and it doesn't make my, I've found that I do not feel any less satisfied as an artist when I'm, you know, if it's not me physically, me telling the story, Mm -hmm. That's not, that doesn't, as long as I'm telling stories somehow, and that could literally mean I'm making subtitles for a video, <laughs> I'm good. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell stories. But the, you know, the universe didn't say, I have to tell a story a certain way. I just, the universe told me very clearly, you tell stories. This is what you do. I don't think anything else will ever matter to me in the way that telling stories does. But that doesn't mean I don't have a, in like so many ways. Um, but yeah, like the, this story that I'm working on, I do think that there's a value to it because of the, there's a mental health component and gun violence and, um, intergenerational trauma and, uh, so much to it, but, you know, really being conscious about what you put out there. Cause it's, um, you know, it's, I'm, I don't know. I'm bored with a lot of the stories. <laughs> and so when you go to something like, Diana's show or Christine's show that's at Bushwick Star right now. It's like that story. I'll end with this. Uh, the other night watching Christine Hernley's show, I was impacted very closely by, um, I think, stories about our mothers and our experience of our mothers can is specific. Oh, we all have a connectivity to that. Um, stories about identity. I think we all can connect to that. And it was it's wild and amazing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's so many things. And then it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I can relate, you know, to this Japanese American woman telling me this story. My roommate who is, whose mother is Korean and who doesn't necessarily come from the, the theater world or doesn't come from the theater world. We were walking back and she was like, I've never, I've never seen anything that reflected me before she had never seen anything that was telling a story that she connected truly connected with and she thought i was the only one who had that experience and i you know the difference korean mothers and japanese mothers, but she it was like you know, i'm walking next to her thinking oh god you know i've gotten to have that my whole life so point being there's a lot of stories that need to be told so we've got to be kind of you know, if we're going to be activists in the world of art, me sitting across from you, um, grateful for this space and uh, hopeful to be, you know, telling stories that make a difference and, you know, or are completely stupid but still make a difference. <laughs> yeah, all of them. There's a, there's a place for There's every a, story, literally you know? a place for all of them. Yeah. I mean, all stories matter. All of them. Even what we think of as the dumbest stories, they are so valuable. Every there's a quality again, snobbery ended in high school. <laughs> and that's a good place to, you know, for it to, to be, to explore and all of that. Um, 
where's the best place for people to like follow you and what you're up to? Um, so I am, my company's called Adventure We Can. So sort of around the idea of uh, something my friends and I said in high school, uh, sorry, in college, my college friends, we would, we'd always say before there were hashtags, we would say, um, you know, ha- it was basically like hashtag adventure we can because the idea is adventure we can, adventure we will, uh, which was like a kind of a party, like on our way to a party, <laughs> like adventure we can. Um, and so when I decided to create my own production company in 2011, I thought, you know, I'm going to call it adventure we can. This is the... Um, and it's AWC for, for, you know, when we're trying to be fancy, <laughs> AWC. So um, you can visit adventureweekend.com to see different work, uh, to find out about more me and my team. Uh, we're going to be doing some updates there. You hire me to direct and make your videos. Uh, you can also go to crystalarnett.com, which is my, uh, my website that has some of my acting stuff on it. And I don't know, there's smaller things there. And I'm on... Uh, Instagram at Ladybird Crystal, which I had before the movie. I've always said Ladybird. Ladybird's been my term of endearment for a long time, but it's cool. The movie's good too. So at Ladybird Crystal, and then on Twitter at Crystal Arnett. Cool. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, you, the only thing I'd say is that you know the opportunity. If you are a person who is in a place of quote unquote gatekeeping, or like recently the show that I was that you auditioned for. You know, that was a show that was written in a way that um, looks like it's a vampire action show. It's a sword fighting action show. And the script was, you know, it's very like what we expect, right? It's all very like, um, you know, Marvel and Fox. And, you know, it's like these shows, it's, we love them for this reason. And, um, you know, we just made the decision as a production company that this show is going to look and sound like New York City. And I kind of said, I don't, you know, like, where can we be unexpected in our, in our parts? And a lot of the roles were not written necessarily with, uh, like, non-cis men. They, they all, most of the characters had, like, cis male names. Um, and I was like, mm, you know, why don't we just bring everyone in? And we, we ended up casting out of, you know, initially there were 15 speaking roles and only four had femme-identifying names. Um, and we cast eight actors who were not cisgendered male. So we had actors who were um, cis female and then actors who were trans or actors who were non-binary playing these, these parts. And some of the pronouns changed in the script to they, them pronouns, even by the time you read it, you know, Lou had they, them pronouns. Um, and you know, a, a boyfriend turned into a girlfriend, but the idea that's just like, uh, sometimes it's just as simple as like opening up the room. Yeah. And because I don't know, there's no reason (laughs) like I I kept saying in the thing, like we don't get to choose who gets to nerd like nerds don't just look like one thing. So like, I don't know, like, so it's just I guess my point is that sometimes it's hard to show people the future and sometimes you just want to take a like by just even opening to yourself as a creative and you get a script or you get, you know, it's not something that you're, you got hired to do it and you can look at it and say, well, what if we just take all the genders off? Yeah. Like what if we just take the genders off of everybody and bring everyone in and see how they interpret? Because the real talk is that we're, there's not a lot of a difference. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Between us. 
and uh, interpretation is everything. And, you know, in the end, of course, we ended up casting someone else for that role, but it's just because like your interpretation and their interpretation is different. And you kind of look at the balance between other people and stuff. And, um, but like I had one idea and then people could come in the room and completely change my mind or change what I thought. And that's just like, I don't know. I think if you are in a leadership position in the arts, that sometimes it's on you to go to your team and say, Hey, what if we just like totally, you know, open ourselves up like to what this could be and even challenge our own conception or, or perception of what it can be. And, and it's kind of really easy Yeah. to, <laughs> I say that it's easy and it's not because sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes there are things can come up in production and you're like, Oh wow. You know, I didn't realize that having a black actor in this part was going to now make this do this. And Oh, and we have to pay attention to this in a different way. But that also, um, you know, True Detective, uh, yes. the current season, you wasn't, know about that? wasn't supposed to be Mahershala Ali, right? It wasn't thought to be? He Well, he was actually, um, they called him in to audition for the other part, the dwarf oh, part. Yeah. Um, and he read the script and because of the, like they were thinking because of the time period, it wouldn't make sense for him to be the lead detective. But he was like, well, actually, I, I can't remember if it was his uncle or grandfather but he was like, or his dad, right. but somebody in his family um, was right. like a lead detective, detective at that time. And then he was saying how, like, as they looked at it, he, and this was, this was, uh, I mean, he's obviously in, this is something as an actor, I think that's important if you get to be in the position where he's at right, right. now. Right, if you're able to affect change. Yeah, right. where he spoke up and was like, hey, um it's actually if the lead detective is black and this is where you do have to think about it and you're in this town, this predominantly white town where even though he's the lead detective, there's going to be a dynamic where people are um, questioning that <laughs> and questioning the, the actual guy who's actually lower like in rank than him because he's white. Right. So then you get to, all kinds of stuff you can play with. Then, right. You know? And the, and the challenges are totally worth it. Like, yeah. it, like, you know, our default for so long has been, um, and I'm, I'm to be completely frank. I'm not like, I'm not like, this isn't a knock or even anything against the writer of the, of the series or, the, you know, any shows or anything. It's more just like we often write from a perspective that we know, or we, we, you know, don't always. And it's, it's not about like, I think it's also very important to be specific and obviously often to just support writers who are not white, you know, like that's, that's actually the answer. Like, let's just do that. Um, whenever we can. Uh, and then we also step into the place where it's like me, like, you know, white women directing artists of color work is like a whole, whole thing. It's a whole thing and it's, it's okay. And relationships can be fine. But as a produ as someone who's produced a lot of work in the city and stuff, I do feel like you sometimes have to, Hmm. It's not going to feel really good for everybody for like a little bit of time. Yeah. Hopefully for not too long while we work on making the table as big as it's supposed to be, you know, and sometimes your job is to like sit on the side of the room, you know, it's cool to be in the room, but sometimes your job might be like, you're not sitting at the table today. You're going to go sit and, and listen um, and make sure that there's enough 
space and, and, and these people and other artists shouldn't have to bring their own chairs. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we should, you know, there's that whole thing about bring a chair, bring a chair. It's been like a, a, a campaign slogan, I think, about bringing a chair. But I, I, I'm sorry, I should bring the chair. I should make enough chairs. There should just be enough chairs and the table should be big enough. Um, and while we're working on making that table big enough, sometimes just don't sit in the chair for a day. Yeah. Maybe. Or, or I don't know. Maybe that's divisive, but that is a, no, a way. No, I mean, I, I think like, as, <laughs> like definitely there have been times like, yeah, I'm a black man, but there are, and so, you know, there's my own like things with being black and also like being, you know, all of that. But like to understand that, like it you know it you're different things in different spaces mm-hmm. but like as far as like men and women and transgender people and stuff like that there's times for me as a cis man to like to to also like make space to give way one of my mentors used to talk about that like you give you give way like mm-hmm. you know what i mean if you understand like not that you're necessarily a gatekeeper in, in certain situations, right. just you like have a privilege sometimes like every, like you have privilege in, at different times right. and to be aware of that and understand that and that you can like, yeah, open the door for other people and or, hold it. Like, and, you know, and, and it doesn't negate us as storytellers because yeah. if we're called to tell stories I mean, we're all the way back to the beginning of the conversation about millennia old, about roots deep, about center of the earth, about center of humanity, we are called to tell stories, but it's not, if so, if, if, if you, if we like doggy, doggy, dog, 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 Bucky yeah, you'll meet that. I don't know if you met my. Oh my yeah. Heroes. Oh yeah. 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 So so it's just that if if my purpose on Earth is to tell stories or to understand stories, I am not called to simply tell stories that I understand or to experience stories that I understand. We are called to uplift all stories because storytelling is essential to the human experience. And we are made richer and and stronger in in our understanding of humanity. And our job, right, is to always understand humanity and to, to wade around inside of it and then reflect it back and try to help the rest of the world understand itself. Like that's what we're here to do. And oftentimes, I mean, that means I I understand the world better because I saw Christine's show the other night. You know? Um that is the key so it's it's like it's not even it's not even about like you get out of the way so other people can tell their stories we're, we're telling our, our story. stories yeah because we are we are human and that's what it's about yeah well that seems like perfect place to wrap it up thank you very much uh, it was a pleasure <laughs> catching up with you I know this is a great catch up session via, yeah. via podcast yeah <laughs> thank you thank you so that was my conversation with Crystal Arnett uh, the links to find her in Adventure We Can that's adventurewecan.com um, crystalarnett.com those will be in the show notes. You can look them up there. Um, I really had a good time talking with her. Good conversation. It was a pleasure reconnecting with her, and I hope to collaborate with her in the future. And uh, 
I hope that you reach out and connect and collaborate with people and work on projects that you believe in. I think uh, she really has a clear mission on what she's trying to do and she's uh, learned a lot over the years and has synthesized it down into a really cool process. So I look forward to seeing what she's going to do in the future and I look forward to hearing what you're going to do. Uh, so, like I said, if you enjoy this show, please reach out, connect. Um, you can hit us up on Instagram, through the website, um, wherever. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. We will see you soon. I'm going to be in Amsterdam for a couple of weeks. Might interview some people over here. Um, and then I'll be back in New York at the end of March. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.